You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Representative Pramila Jayapal, former Senator Jeff Flake, and Representative Nancy Mace joined the Post to discuss the unprecedented assault on the U.S. Capitol and what it means for the future of American democracy. Good afternoon. I'm Jonathan Capehart, opinion writer for the Washington Post. Welcome to Washington Post Live. Yesterday, hundreds of pro-Trump insurrectionists broke into the United States Capitol, storming barricades, pushing past Capitol Police, as Congress met to certify electoral college votes for President-elect Joe Biden. The rioters climbed up walls, they broke through windows, as Capitol Police ordered staff, lawmakers, and reporters to shelter in place. Our first guest today took cover in the gallery above the House floor as the angry mob tried to breach the entry. She is the Democratic representative from this great state of Washington, Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal. Thank you for joining us today. Jonathan, it's always great to be with you. Um, before I get into your experience yesterday, I want to take care of some news here. And we have heard within the last hour to 90 minutes, two leaders in the Democratic uh, congressional Democratic uh, leadership uh, come out in favor of removing the president. Speaker Nancy Pelosi um, said that if the 25th Amendment um, were not invoked, that the president should be impeached. Same stance as Senate, soon-to-be Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. Your reaction? Well, I think that's absolutely what has to happen. I said this actually last night, and we sent a letter early this morning uh, with a number of my colleagues on judiciary and in the Democratic caucus to Vice President Pence uh, to, to ask him to please invoke the 25th Amendment. That has to be done by the Vice President. And so that is absolutely what needs to happen. Because, Jonathan, I just want to take a minute to talk about what happened yesterday. Mm -hmm. Please. What happened Please. yesterday is the most violent and destructive assault on the United States Capitol since the War of 1812. And this was an assault perpetrated by domestic terrorists who were fueled, incited, and assisted by the President of the United States. Many of these individuals were also associated with white nationalist groups. Some of them, we are finding out this morning, were actually the same people that stormed the Michigan Capitol during the summer. And as you might remember, I asked Bill Barr specifically during a ju Judiciary Committee hearing about why he didn't do anything. And in fact, he said he didn't know, which is not possible, actually, but that he didn't know about those things. I think those uh, assaults on the Capitol by armed militia uh, yesterday were actually the final run, the final performance after many practice runs on state capitals around the country. Mm -hmm. So this is an extremely serious moment. I have called for the president to be removed immediately. Um, and our Democratic leadership is right there with us on this. And I think we also have to immediately have a very quick and thorough investigation into what happened with the law enforcement agencies mm -hmm. that were not there at the Capitol yesterday. They were not there. They, we did not have the assistance that we needed. And it looked from videos as if members of the Capitol Police, not all of them, but members of the Capitol Police were perhaps complicit in this. In fact, I saw that the French intelligence this morning 
said that they believe this was a, a, an actual coup attempt by the president, um, either by you know looking the other way and not putting out law enforcement or actually assisting. So we are in a very dark place in this country today. You covered a lot of terrain in that one answer, and I do want to come back to law enforcement. But I also want you to right now talk about what you saw and experienced yesterday. I saw snippets, I saw pictures and some video of you up in the House gallery crouching down. I believe you were also with Congresswoman Lisa Blunt Rochester of, of Delaware, correct me if I'm wrong, but walk us through what it was like for you in that moment. Well, it was surreal. You know, up in the gallery, we actually heard the protesters uh, perhaps before even there was any movement on the House floor. We were getting uh, alerts on our phones about what was happening. And then um, we were told they broke to glass. and to immediately get down on the floor. And you see people trying to get down. I had had knee surgery, so it was particularly difficult for me to um, adjust. You see, my, you see me trying to adjust myself there. Mm -hmm. You see, that was a gas mask because some people actually pulled their gas masks on immediately um, as, as they were uh, really afraid for what was happening. What you see happening on the House floor below us is that most of the members on the House, all of the members on the actual floor of the chamber had been taken out already. But we in the gallery, unfortunately, were stuck there. And you can hear that shot that we heard, the shots being fired into the chamber. And if you look down, you see that the Capitol Police are around that middle door of the chamber. They have furniture, tables, barricading that door. And then if you, I don't know if you can zoom in, but there are, uh, all of them are standing around the door with their guns mm -hmm. drawn, um, ready to try to stop people from entering the chamber. It was chaos. And I will say that even the Capitol Police that were with us in the gallery seemed to not be communicating with each other. They were calling back and forth, um, you know, trying to figure out what they should do. I don't know why they didn't have, you know, communications equipment that uh, where they were actually being able to communicate that there were dozens of members up in the gallery where I was um, and, you know, to try to try to secure the safety of those doors. They, you know, people were asking where the keys were to lock the doors. Um, it was really quite stunning. And, um, you know, of course, scary for all of us, um, but really most scary for our Constitution and for mm -hmm. our democracy. So as we were looking at the video and you're directing um, everyone's attention to those center doors where um, law enforcement were on the inside, um, we were seeing uh, from, uh, from that vantage point on the front page of the Washington Post today, is what's going to become an iconic photo from yesterday, and that is those law enforcement officers with their guns drawn, pointed at the door. And in some pictures, you can see the faces uh, of the insurrectionists trying to push their way in. You were talking a moment ago about, um, in your first answer, about law enforcement, the reaction of law enforcement, the fact that law enforcement seemed to be unpresent. And a lot of the conversation has been since yesterday, what would have happened if these were Black Lives Matter protesters who were storming the Capitol? Would they have even gotten up the steps of the Capitol? I think the universal thinking is absolutely not. In fact, some shots might have been fired, armored vehicles might have been there. Why do you think 
things played out so differently yesterday when the insurrectionists were predominantly white and predominantly male? Well, this is exactly what I raised to Bill Barr during the summer. It is exactly how the Department of Justice has treated uh, white and black individuals differently. Um, and I think that this is part and parcel of what this administration has given to us. But what is really troubling to me is that I don't see any way that um, what happened yesterday could have happened without law enforcement and, uh, you know, cabinet secretaries for our law enforcement agencies uh, being somehow involved or complicit in either delaying assistance or not putting together a full plan. I listened to former DHS Secretary Jay Johnson talk about how it is absolutely possible to secure the Capitol. If you go to the Capitol today, Jonathan, you see barricades up, you see law enforcement in full force. Of course, nobody is there anymore. But yesterday, we had none of that. And the number of breaches around different parts of the Capitol make me believe and you know, I'm calling for a full investigation, but very quick, because we have an inauguration coming up in just 14 days, into what happened here. And I really believe that there had to be some of our law enforcement and others um, that were part of assisting protesters, uh, excuse me, I can't call them protesters, assisting these insurrectionists to enter the Capitol and conduct this assault on our capital and our constitution. Well, one of the things that give, well, many of the, th I'm thinking of two examples that give credence to your, your conviction that this could somehow be either an inside job or at least portions of law enforcement were complicit. One, there's the example of uh, a law enforcement person taking a selfie inside the Capitol. And then there's the video of law enforcement opening the barricades for the people to rush through onto Capitol grounds. Have you heard um, or heard of anything from the, the, from the Capitol Police, any explanation for why things went so terribly wrong yesterday? I, I have not. And I actually spoke to Speaker Pelosi about this yesterday when she came in to address us when we were in the secure location. And I raised the exact video that you're talking about uh, around the barricades. Um, and she had not seen that, and she was extremely um, concerned about that. And so I, I know that there is now uh, tension being called to this. And, you know, I think that it goes beyond that, though. If you look at just how sparse the law enforcement was at the Capitol, um, it, it, is, it is stunning. We knew what was going to happen. We knew what was going to happen. And there are plenty of resources. Remember, Jonathan, uh, much to my chagrin, we spend $750 billion on defense and the Pentagon. And we have the best tools, supposedly, in the world to protect our, uh, to, to protect everything that is dear to us. And yet we couldn't control an insurrection at the United States Capitol that we knew was being perpetrated in part by the President of the United States. I just find it stunning, and well, I think that this goes very deep. Well, Congressman, listening to you speak, it makes me, um, I have to ask you this question about um, the use of the military. One of the concerns has been that the president would find a way, an excuse to involve the military uh, in, in ways that would help him stay in office 
one theory out there was to delay or postpone the inauguration. The do you buy or or do you well what do you think of the conjecture that the reason why the National Guard wasn't called in was because of or that the Pentagon said no initially um, is because they didn't want to get the the military involved into in something that could spiral out of control with the president of the United States at the controls. Well, it all depends, and this is why I'm calling for the president to be removed. If we can't trust the president to control the United States military and our forces to do what is right for the country and for the Constitution, then he should not be there. He is not fit to be the president of the United States. The reality is the National Guard was called out against Black Lives Matter protesters who were peaceful protesters. They were not armed militia. I'm telling you, Jonathan, I saw pictures of armed, fully clad and bulletproof gear um, individuals with fisticuffs and arms, fisticuffs in one hand, arms in the other, um, plots of taking hostages, uh, people invading the speaker's office, desecrating the Capitol. This was a very different situation. And the National Guard was supposed to be at least on the ready. And they mm -hmm. were not. They were not there. Um, we are getting different reports. I actually spoke to the speaker about this yesterday as well. Um, we are getting different reports about what happened. The Trump administration is sort of denying that they delayed getting assistance from the National Guard out. But, you know, these protesters stormed in and stormed out. There were 50 arrests yesterday, Jonathan. There were over mm -hmm. 200 arrests, by the way, when, when Brett Kavanaugh was being confirmed at that time. These were primarily, as I understand it, these 50 yesterday were primarily curfew uh, violations. I don't know that they were all at the Capitol, but we had people who left the Capitol, left the Capitol with arms, who had been seen right in the presence of, of police, destroying and defacing and threatening um, our security and our, and our country. Mm -hmm. And they were allowed to leave the Capitol. Many of them got on Con flights this morning with members of Congress, by the way. Incredible. Congressman, we've got less than five minutes left, and this is going to have to be a lightning round because I've got at least three questions that I need to ask you about today. Facebook has banned President Trump um, from its platforms indefinitely. Uh, what do you think of this decision and its timing? Absolutely essential, but too little, too late. Should have been done a long time ago. Facebook has a lot they can do. Twitter needs to do the same thing. And frankly, we need to completely break up these companies and regulate them so that they can't allow for uh, the, the kind of misinformation, disinformation that's been happening that has ha helped to lead to this platform that the president has and many others. In light of what happened yesterday, would love your thoughts um, in terms of what you're looking for from President-elect Joe Biden's nominee for Attorney General Merrick Garland. Well, I have to tell you, I just watched uh, the president-elect's speech, and it gave me a lot of hope. I thought he was very strong in describing what the Department of Justice needs to do and why it was set up to actually be a protector of civil rights. Um, and so I think that, uh, you know, and my very good friend, Benita Gupta, somebody that uh, the Progressive Caucus had put forward as one of our top priorities for the Department of Justice. I'm very happy to see her name there as well. And so I hope that the vice president elect, or excuse me, the president-elect's message today about the Department of Justice functioning as the 
attorney for the American people and not for the president of the United States, and the focus on civil rights as a core component, really the ultimate mission of the Department of Justice. Um, I really appreciated that direction, and I salute the president-elect, and I look forward to uh, the leadership of Merrick Garland and Benita Gupta and others as they take over the Department of Justice and have it be a real Department of Justice. Mm -hmm. As you were as you were speaking, we just got news in that the the House Sergeant of at Arms has resigned. Your reaction to that news? Appropriate, appropriate. I think that there, that we need to have immediate accountability, and frankly, we need to know that the people that are there are there to protect us and protect the country and protect the Capitol. And right now, there is a lot of doubt about that in many of my colleagues' minds. Mm -hmm. uh, one more question for you. Yesterday started out on a hopeful note for Democrats. Reverend Raphael Warnock, when we woke up yesterday morning, was um, uh, declared the winner of one of the Georgia Senate seats. By the late morning, early afternoon, John Ossoff was declared the winner, thus putting Democrats into the majority in the Senate. But because two Democrats won seats uh, in the seats from Georgia in the United States Senate, the first time since I think 1992. I'm wondering, what do you what do you think that means for the Democratic Party and also for the country? I think it is uh, it is the great hope that we in America pride ourselves on that we are resilient and strong, and that the people's voices will win, and the people of Georgia, and particularly the black organizers, the brown organizers, the indigenous organizers that have been building infrastructure on the ground without help for a decade um, to get people to believe that their voice and their vote matters. It was really important. And of course, control of the Senate is everything um, so that we have three, uh, three you know, the, the House, the Senate and the White House now in democratic control. It's not going to be easy, but it is much better for the country and for justice than it was before those results were clear. Okay, usually when I say it's the last question, it's not really the last question, but this is the last question. If by some by some miracle of efficiency and and courage, articles of impeachment are drawn up and a vote is held, how would you vote? Yeah, you know, I would I would vote to impeach this president just as I did before when I said Donald Trump is the smoking gun, and that gun is loaded, and whether or not it fires is up to us. That was in my opening statement of the impeachment trial that we held in the Judiciary Committee. I stand by it today, um, and absolutely, this president needs to be gone, and I will do everything in my power to make that happen as quickly as possible. Congresswoman Jamila, I'm sorry, <laughs> Pramila Jayapal of Washington State. I, I'm so sorry, but thank you very much for joining me today. Well, thank you, Jonathan. And I just want to say your voice is so important at this critical time in our nation's history. So thank you for, for everything that you are doing. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks, Congresswoman. Uh, and again, uh, that's Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal of Washington State. We turn now to former Republican Senator from Arizona, Jeff Flake. He represented the Grand Canyon State in the United States Senate from 2013 to 2019. Senator Flake, thank you very much for joining us on Washington Post Live. Sure, great to be with you, Jonathan. 
Well, Senator, what is your message to your former Republican Senate colleagues? And have you talked to any of them since yesterday's uh, unbelievable events? I've communicated with a few um, by text, but uh, it was an, obviously an awful, awful day. Uh, something like we've never seen before. I mean, I was on uh, on Capitol Hill 9-11. Uh, I was on the baseball field getting shot at. Uh, there have been some tough times, but boy, to see your own citizens uh, storm the Capitol, uh, some of them armed, and uh, the destruction that they wrought, and to see someone killed, it's just uh, something I, I couldn't imagine. So I, I just, as a Republican, uh, and obviously as a critic of the president, uh, my message is let's move on. Let's move on to something better. Let's inaugurate this president and uh, and look for better times. Senator Flake, how much responsibility um, does President Trump have for what happened yesterday? A great deal of responsibility. He he uh, put the mob together. He invited them to Washington. Said that they'd it'd be a wild ride. He uh, told them to go uh, to the Capitol to march to the Capitol. Said that he would be with them. Um, and uh, how in the world can you say those things and then escape blame and try to hide behind uh, some fortress at the White House and say, you know, you weren't responsible? Of course, he bears responsibility for it. You've been calling on your your former Senate colleagues, Republican colleagues, to stand up to President Trump for a while now. Why? Well, what did you make of Vice President Pence and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell finally breaking ranks with the president this week? Yeah, I can tell you. I, you know, and I was I was thinking, reflecting this week. I actually wrote a piece uh, in the New York Times about it. Twenty years ago to the day yesterday. Uh, Mike Pence and I had just entered Congress, and we watched as Al Gore uh, had to congratulate uh, his opponent. And I even approached Al Gore afterwards and uh, uh, told him how much I respected him uh, for not doing, you know, he did what was expected and what he had to do, but he did it uh, with good grace. And uh, I, I had hoped that Mike Pence would do the same. I expected him to do so. I know we were together on that day. Uh, 20 years ago, and I know that he respected what Al Gore did. I fully expected him to do what he did yesterday, and I was proud of him for doing it. I've obviously had my differences uh, with him over the past couple of years. Uh, likewise, Mitch McConnell, uh, talk about a, a pitched perfect and wonderful speech uh, that he gave that was needed at that time. So I, I was certainly proud of him. Uh, obviously, I, I wish my party would have uh, taken a different path uh, four years ago and during that time, but uh, it was good to see yesterday. Well, speaking of your party, do you, does your party still exist? The Republican <laughs> party that you're a member of, does it still exist? Well, uh, functionally, uh, you know, it, it may be different from uh, uh, de facto. De facto, we're there with 50 seats in the Senate and uh, almost a majority in the House. But boy, where we go from here is, is going to be really difficult. And I hope uh, that uh, you know it's tough to find any silver lining or anything positive in the awful day that was yesterday. But I hope that uh, it will accelerate uh, the, uh, the movement away from Trumpism. There's no there there for the Republican Party. Uh, I've been saying for a long time, if we 
We want to be a relevant uh, uh, party in the future, and we do need two strong parties in this country. For whatever reason, we've given ourselves two parties. That's about it in this country, and we need two strong, rational parties. But if we want to be so as Republicans, then we've got to move away from Trumpism. There's just no future there. Mm -hmm. All right, so there's a lot of breaking news that that is happening. I was about to ask you about one set of breaking news, but I've got one eye on you and one eye on my giant television screen in front of me. And right now, MSNBC is reporting a breaking news story from the New York Times with the headline, Trump is said to have discussed pardoning himself. Um, this has been in the ether for a long time, the idea that the president of the United States would would pardon himself before leaving office. What do you make of that? And what does that say, not only about, about the president, but the institution of the presidency? Well, that, that won't surprise me at all. Um, I think, uh, you know, few of us are surprised uh, by what the president does. Although uh, when it happens to see what happened yesterday and his response to it, and, uh, you know, that phone call to the Georgia Secretary of State, even if you, you know, expect that of the president, it's still jarring uh, when it happens and sickening. Uh, but uh, if he pardons himself, uh, obviously that's uh, legally dubious uh, as to the effect, uh, but it still won't protect him from state charges or other action that may come. So I'm not sure what effect it will have. In terms of will it turn, will it uh, be something that uh, moves his base away from him? Uh, probably not. Uh, but frankly, what happened yesterday is something I hope that will move at least a portion of the president's base away from him. The other breaking news I wanted to ask you about is uh, announcements from both Speaker Pelosi and incoming Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, both calling for the immediate removal of President Trump, Speaker Pelosi saying that, calling for impeachment if the 25th Amendment isn't invoked. Do you support um, efforts to remove Trump from office even if there are just 14 days left? I'd rather not see it happen. That uh, tends to uh, sometimes make matters worse or uh, make more of a martyr out of somebody that uh, should be simply shunned uh, after he leaves. So I, uh, I hope that. Uh, he remains holed up in the White House and that his advisors, and I do hope that a certain number of advisors, I, I understand uh, certainly the, you know, people being compelled to resign at this time, but I hope a few people uh, with good hearts um, and right minds stay with him uh, because uh, if the public reporting is accurate, uh, he seems uh, more off than he usually is. And uh, I think that that should concern us all. But uh, given the two weeks that we have and, and uh, what politically that might mean, I hope that we don't have to go. Um, Senator, you just said that you hope that uh, President Trump should just basically go away. He should be shunned. Um, and I'm just wondering, is shunning him enough? One of the things I know is going to pop up at some point from the left is the, pres the former, by then, the former president needs to be held accountable for what happened when he was in office. Your, what would be your response if the former, by then the former president is investigated and then prosecuted? Should that happen? Jim Comey wrote a whole op-ed basically saying, don't do it. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I, I 
would tend to be with Jim Comey on that. I, I uh, think, I hope we can move on. Uh, obviously, if, if things come to light, uh, that should be investigated uh, further, uh, then do it. But uh, I'm reluctant to, to advocate that. I, as much as I have never been a fan of the president, uh, could never warm to him, I think the Republican Party made a huge mistake going that direction. And uh, I just hope that we, as a country, uh, aren't uh, preoccupied with, uh, with going after a former president. I hope we can move forward. Uh, can I get your reaction to the actions taken by Senators Josh Hawley and Senator Ted Cruz? How much responsibility do, do they bear for what happened yesterday? I don't want to place uh, that kind of blame on them, but I can tell you what they did I thought was highly uh, irregular and irresponsible. And for and that's what's been really disappointing, as I mentioned, not much of what the president has done uh, over the past year, the past few years have surprised those of us who have watched him or have interacted or worked with him or tried to. Um, but what has been very surprising and disappointing is to see people when the president talks, for example, about uh, you know, wide scale, scale voter fraud, when we all know that it wasn't there. Um, and when people in the party, the Republican Party of Arizona, the whole apparatus and elected officials who were in the House of Representatives, and then certain senators, uh, one senator challenging Arizona's uh, vote count, that's, that's just, uh, it's not a responsible thing to do. And, uh, and I hope that people consider that as uh, uh, they run for higher office. Uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it's not appropriate. Do you think, for the voters who still believe the election was was fraudulent, can they be persuaded otherwise at this point? Well, let's so try. <laughs> I, well, the first, the first order of business is for those of us who know, and I would uh, say that that is everybody in elected office in the U.S. House or U.S. Senate, to unequivocally say Joe Biden is the legitimate president. There was no wide-scale voter fraud. Every case that was taken before a court, uh, a court was uh, dismissed or ignored as it should have been. Uh, so that happened in the proper venue. And uh, election officials all over the country in a nonpartisan way conducted this election uh, as they have in the past uh, in a good way. Uh, so I would like to try. Now, some people will simply never be convinced. I'm seeing reports this morning and seeing on social media uh, people claiming that uh, these weren't Trump supporters who stormed the Capitol. They were all Antifa or, or something else. So there are many who will not believe uh, whatever you put before them or, or will pretend not to. But every elected official uh, has a responsibility uh, to lead and to exhibit courage. And courage isn't what President Trump has been saying to challenge these results and fight uh, once you've lost an election. Courage means uh, telling your constituents, uh, if they're wrong, that they're wrong. And I understand you can't do too much of that. Uh, um, if you, uh, you want to be in office later and some of us make the choice that, uh, you know, you go another way. But man, uh, a public career isn't worth much if you're lying to your constituents. And there's a lot of that that's been going on. When you were in the Senate, you worked across the aisle with with Democrats. 
in the time that we're in now, especially in this post-insurrection reality, can Democrats and Republicans find common ground uh, to move this country beyond this point we're at now? You bet they can. Uh, and you have a good group of them in the House and the Senate. And, uh, and one thing that is most important is to have somebody in the White House who models better behavior in this regard. Uh, Joe Biden is, and I say this uh, in a very positive way, is a creature of the Senate. Uh, he was in that body uh, when it earned its moniker as the world's most deliberative body. And he knows how to work across the aisle. And I think he'll work well uh, with Mitch McConnell. Uh, there are other of uh, my Republican colleagues, obviously Mitt Romney, uh, Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, Ben Sass, and others who are inclined to, to reach across the aisle and many others that I haven't mentioned on the Democratic side. Obviously, uh, Chris Coons and Tim Kaine, and Martin Heinrich, and so many that I've worked with on a number of issues are willing, they want to legislate. And I can tell you, as a Republican, as a former Senator, you, when you're elected to the Senate, you aspire to do more than simply approve the president's executive calendar, uh, <laughs> judges or, or uh, you know, ambassadorships or cabinet picks. You want to legislate. And, uh, and a lot of my colleagues have missed that desperately. And I hope uh, that uh, we have a situation where the Democrats don't say, hey, let's get rid of the filibuster. Let's go so we can move. Let's work across the aisle. Uh, the filibuster, uh, obviously, it's, it's frustrating uh, when you're in the majority and you can't move legislation you'd like to, but it's the one mechanism left that still forces the parties uh, to work together. And I hope they do, and I expect them to. Well, Senator Flake, I, I, I mean, we're talking about a situation here for President-elect Joe Biden where he, sure, Democrats are going to be in the majority in the Senate, but that's only because incoming Vice President Kamala Harris is going to be the tie-breaking right. vote. Will your colleagues who are desperate to be about the work of legislating and therefore governing, will what happened yesterday be enough? Was it enough of a shock to the system to actually get everyone working together again and actually legislating as opposed to digging in to um, you know, the grooves of the past and blocking and obstructing. Yeah, I had hoped before the situation yesterday that enough had happened uh, that would prompt uh, some of my colleagues. Like I said, many of them are yearning to legislate again. Unfortunately, uh, you know, the Senate, uh, there's both goods and bads here, but uh, most of the Senate is new. I mean, the average senator, I think, is in his or her uh, seventh or eighth year is all. And so many have never been in that body when it actually worked, uh, when you know you had uh, regular order. But those who were and those who are coming in from other legislative bodies where they have legislated are yearning to do that. So I think even without what happened yesterday, there was a better chance of Republicans and Democrats working together. And uh, after what happened yesterday, I think that that will, uh, will hopefully uh, move us more quickly toward that time. Senator, what, what questions should we be asking about the handling of the attack yesterday by, by law well, enforcement, I, Capitol Hill police, and yeah. so on? I saw some of the uh, segment just before, and I think some of those questions are the right ones. Uh, I think uh, it's already been said the Senate Sergeant at Arms uh, is going to be asked to go. The House Sergeant at Arms is retiring, or I'm sorry, re resigning. 
uh, Capitol Police uh, obviously uh, have some uh, some some things to explain. So, yeah, I think that some of the right questions are already being asked. But boy, you can never have a situation uh, where so easily, um, seemingly easily, uh, so many people uh, could be in the Capitol with members still there. Um, it just uh, boggles the mind that there there wasn't better planning knowing uh, what was happening yesterday, knowing what the president was saying. Uh, We've known this for a couple of days that this, uh, or a week, that this event was gonna happen. So uh, yeah, there are a lot of questions that are gonna be asked and uh, a lot of uh, uh, changes are gonna have to be made in both policies and personnel. And what do you make of Congresswoman Jayapal's um, assertion her belief that there is possibly coordination um, between law enforcement and the Trump administration and so on that made it possible for the Capitol, which was supposed to be one of the most protected buildings in the country, to be so easily overrun? I, I'd have a hard time believing that. Uh, I, I don't. I don't buy it. I don't. Um, were you going to f- say something more before I? No, 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 no. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> okay. I, I just can't. I mean, the the notion that somebody would, uh, you know, uh, want that to happen or, or uh, you know, make that easier. Uh, no. And I I mm-hmm. know folks in the Capitol Police and Sergeant at Arms Office and whatever. No, I, I just don't believe it. Should we be concerned about the national security of our country, both? the instability that it seems that we're in right now from foreign actors, but also our national security when it comes to our vulnerability um, with regard to domestic terrorism, as we saw yesterday. Oh, sure. Um, obviously, when events uh, like that happened yesterday, that, uh, uh, you know, for those who want to do us harm, they'll see that as a template. And, uh, and, and obviously, on 9-11, we had to correct procedures and do things that we uh, you know, we realized we should have been doing before. I suppose that this will prompt, uh, you know, a hardening of certain areas. Uh, you know, like I said, changes in procedures and protocol. Um, but yeah, it, it, events like this certainly expose vulnerabilities that uh, we, we should have known that we needed. But uh, I hope we uh, act differently. Mm-hmm. And Senator Flake, last question for you. What do you make of the Democratic presidential uh, victory in your home state and the the presidential and senatorial victories now in Georgia. What does that say about the strength of the Republican Party right now? Well, in my state, um, you know, Arizona is still nominally uh, a red state. If you run, you know, a mine inspector, which is a statewide position we have, and he or she is a Republican, that R behind their name is usually enough uh, to just get them mm. statewide. But if you run as a Trumpian Republican, you're going to have trouble. And that is credit to the good voters of Arizona. Uh, I uh, endorsed uh, Joe Biden in my state. I was glad to see him win. Um, as far as long term in Arizona, I, I hope that we Republicans can respond and actually try to persuade voters, bring them to our side of the argument rather than try to use the levers of power or incumbency or patronage uh, to keep them in our camp. And in terms of Georgia, those seats should have been easy for Republicans, frankly. Um, if if uh, I think in November, 
if uh, Purdue and uh, Leffler would have simply said the president lost, they knew he did. Uh, you know, this will mean control of the Senate, uh, but we're not with the president. We're not with these outrageous, uh, you know, allegations. Uh, I think they would have fared much better. So the president uh, bears a lot of responsibility, but Republicans are going to need to learn, like I said, to persuade again. I think we have better arguments, <laughs> but boy, hmm. we aren't even using those arguments when all we're talking about uh, is the, the personality of one man and how uh, you need to either be with him or you can't be a member of the party. Uh, so I, I hope we can get back to what the, you know, the party actually stands for. Limited government, economic freedom, individual responsibility, strong American leadership across the globe. I think that's a winning message if we can deliver it. Well, as my final question, will you be the one to deliver that, persuade, that persuasive message as a candidate for president in 2024? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've talked to my wife about that one. <laughs> but no, I, I, I don't expect that. Then. That's interesting. You don't expect is there's a lot of wiggle room <laughs> no. in there. There's no no in there. No. I, I obviously are very concerned with where my party is, and I believe that this country needs two strong parties. And uh, I'm a conservative, uh, and I, I think that we have great arguments, but uh, it's tough to see a place for a guy like me in a party like this right now. And with that, we're going to have to leave it there. Senator Jeff Flake of Arizona, thanks so much for coming to Washington Post Live. I appreciate it. You bet. Thank you. Congresswoman Nancy Mace was sworn into her first term on Sunday and bore witness to the assault on the Capitol yesterday. And she joins me now. Congresswoman Mace, thank you very much for coming to Washington Post Live. <clears throat> thank you for having me this afternoon. And I, I uh, not under these circumstances would do what I ever want my first interview with you all to be about this. Uh, it's a very solemn day for me today. And I woke up in tears uh, looking at the images of, of last night. Well, I, w I would love for you to walk me through your experience on Capitol Hill on Wednesday mm -hmm. by explaining mm -hmm. why you decided to put your kids on the first flight out of Washington on Monday. Yeah, I had every intention. My children are going through virtual school like so many uh, American children right now because of COVID-19. And we decided, hey, it would be really cool to be in, in the Capitol and in D.C. for mommy's first week on the job. Let's do that, make a trip out of it. And we had every intention of doing it. But when I saw the rhetoric ramping up, the, the, the kinds of messages that my office receiving and that I was receiving personally, and the rhetoric uh, from far fringes of the right of my own party online and on social media, I got very uncomfortable over the weekend on Sunday afternoon and Sunday night. I bought uh, airplane tickets for my children to be on the first flight out of here Monday morning because I just I didn't feel good about it. I felt uncomfortable about it. And uh, I'm so grateful that my motherly instincts uh, put my children on a plane so they were not witness uh, to the heartbreaking images and violence that we saw last night where four people died and lost their lives. Um, it was just a, a very sad moment in our in our history. And I'm just just an incredible loss for our country and for the Republican Party. Um, have you talked to your children about what happened yesterday? Have they seen the, the, mm -hmm. the images and the pictures? I haven't talked to them in detail yet. I want to have that conversation in person. I don't want them to fear that every time that mommy gets on a plane to go to work in D.C., that she's going to be in harm's way. And I want to be very careful about having those kinds of conversations with my children. I know there were a lot of children that did see those images last night. I've heard from other moms 
um, in my district whose children, when they got home from work, were crying over this, over seeing some of this. And so I think it's going to be, there's going to be a real heart-to-heart conversation in my household. Um, I want my kids to know that, that I am going to be safe and that I'm not going to let this happen again. Yes, and, and you have two young children you know, under the age mm-hmm. ages of, of 15. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I understand you're wanting to talk to them face to face. One thing, you're a brand new member of Congress. And so folks might be seeing you and learning mm-hmm. about you for the very first time. Yes, yeah. you're a Republican from South Carolina, but you're, you're an ex-Trump field organizer. Um, you were backed right. by the president. So I was. I, how, and I backed how, how the president you... when he ran for, for his first election and for his re-election. And I've been a member of Congress now for a hundred hours. And I'm operating on about two hours of sleep today. Um, I'm disheartened by everything that's transpired in the last 24 hours. And so then how do you, how disappointed are you in the president of the United States, given what you experienced yesterday and what happened? Extremely, extremely disappointed right now. And and I pleaded with the president online yesterday to get off Twitter and and get on television and, and ask the American people, ask his supporters who are here in D.C., uh, participating in the in the riots that were happening, in the violence, in the anarchy on our streets in the Capitol, to get them to stop and to pe- peacefully return home. Uh, we need leadership uh, in in a time like this, in a crisis like this now more than ever. And I really appreciate the comments and leadership by Vice President Mike Pence. Yesterday morning, he diffused the rumor that he alone could overturn the results of the election. I think what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is the American people have been lied to. Millions of them, they were told that the vice president could single-handedly overturn the results of the the election and and magically make uh, President Trump president for four more years. Simply not true. And I appreciate his candor yesterday in ensuring that that rumor was stopped. But also the American people were lied to about the vote on the Electoral College. This was not a vote about voter fraud. There is no way that you can adjudicate allegations of voter fraud in in a single one-hour debate on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives on a largely ceremonial ministerial uh, vote over certifying the Electoral College. It's just simply not true. And I think the expectations were, were very high about this vote. Uh, some folks decided that they would tell the American people that Congress uh, under the Constitution could overturn the Electoral College. Also not true. When you read Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2 of the U.S. Constitution, um, Congress has no ability to do that in an election that is not contested. And every single state, all 50 certified their elections. The states have power and authority over how their elections are run. And there is a time and a place to, to look at, investigate, and adjudicate voter fraud, whether that's in the state, the federal, or Supreme Court, or perhaps that's in a congressional committee in the U.S. Senate or a commission uh, in the U.S. Congress, you name it. There, there's a time and place for it. And certainly last night in the middle of the night at 2 or 3 a.m., uh, after hours of violence when the Capitol was violated uh, by these rioters and, and four people died, that was not the time and the place for it. So then, Congressman... What do you make of repeated, of repeated election-related falsehoods by the president and others, um, others within the within the GOP? Um, and also, I mean, you also believe um, that there was voter fraud. So, could you please ex- could you please explain? Do you think that there was enough voter fraud out there to change the outcome of the election? 
I, I don't. I, I, call me a cynic. I think there's voter fraud in every election. I mean, you see it from the from the thing, the smallest thing where a, a, an election machine may not work for an hour or for a day, or or machines are broken. You see it when someone is registered to vote, but perhaps they move one county over and they thought they were still registered to vote, but they're not, and they cast a provisional ballot when they truly believe that they have the right to cast uh, a normal uh, ballot for an election. I've tried. I've tried hard to educate myself on election law. There were states that violated their own election laws, but my problem with it is. It wasn't just, you know, we weren't just trying to object to states that that violated their own election laws and states that Republicans lost in. It happened in states where we won. And so why favor one over the other? Why aren't we looking at this? Why aren't we being equal opportunity in terms of the states that broke the laws, in terms of their election laws and investigating voter fraud? Uh, there's a little bit of or a lot of hypocrisy in that effort. I think it waters down our message. Uh, you know, I've talked to folks in the state legislature in Pennsylvania. They tried to seek out relief in the state court and they were unable to. They're trying to seek out relief in federal court, but they also recognize that Congress doesn't have a role uh, in adjudicating any allegations of voter fraud in their election system in the state of Pennsylvania. I mean, there's a there's a role. The Congress doesn't have that role. We have three branches of government. Congress isn't the executive branch. We're not the judiciary, and we certainly aren't the state legislatures or a governor. Um, and so our founders were very smart in the way that cre they created our Constitution. Um, I told my voters that I would follow the Constitution tooth and nail, even if I didn't like the outcome of the election. I was a supporter of President Trump, but I cannot support the violence that happened last night. Rhetoric has real consequences. My life has been threatened. Someone threatened to shoot me on social media. I was accosted on the streets of D.C. on Tuesday night uh, because of my pledge to certify the Electoral College votes uh, yesterday. Um, this is wrong. It needs to be condemned. It needs to stop. Enough mm -hmm. is enough. And we as a party, the Republicans, need to acknowledge there's a problem. We need to take responsibility for it. We need to devise some solutions and we need to communicate those solutions to the American people so we can move forward and recover from all the losses we took yesterday. Everything we've accomplished over the last four years of a Trump presidency has been wiped out by the violence that we saw yesterday. So I want to go back to something you just said about Pennsylvania and um, laws being broken, election laws being broken. There are a lot of lawsuits filed um, by yeah. the president, by his campaign, and they lost they lost all of them. All so are you so are you saying so are you saying that you disagree with the court rulings that the court rulings no. were wrong? Okay. No, not at all. And, and and you saw a significant number. In fact, every every judge appointed by President Trump in those lawsuits also uh, did not support the lawsuits, the court cases that were filed. There were some court cases that should have been filed previously election and they weren't. Um, but I have talked to Republican state lawmakers in Pennsylvania, um, and they still have issues with the way the election was handled, how the state Supreme Court handled their election, as particularly as it regards in regards to uh, the absentee balloting. I'm not a member of the Pennsylvania state legislature, so I can't have a hand in it, but I did make an effort as a member of Congress to reach out to certain lawmakers who do have that knowledge to try to at least learn what's going on. So that in the event a commission is put together, Senator Tim Scott is filing legislation to, to look into allegations of voter fraud, and I commend him for that. I would like to do something similar in, on the House, in the House chamber as well. Um, so that people, the American people, have true and full confidence in the outcome of our elections. Our, our election our election system is only as strong as people's confidence in it. If it takes putting together a commission, uh, either a joint or a commission in each chamber of Cong Congress to do that over the weeks and months ahead, then we should be willing to do that. Mm -hmm. You are among the largest and most diverse class of female mm -hmm. freshmen 
the Republican yeah. Party has ever seen. What role can women play in the future of the Republican Party? Can you save the Republican Party? I, I hope that we can save the Republican Party. I hope each and every one of us who were elected in 2020 can commit to saving the Republican Party. I hope over the days to come, and I think some people are still in denial about this, but we've got to acknowledge the problems ahead. We have a diverse body, not just in the way that we look, the color of our skin or how long our hair is, because there are a lot of women now, more women than ever in, the, in our Republican conference, but also in our diversity of ideas. How do we move forward? How do we move ahead? Uh, and acknowledge, take responsibility. What solutions can we embrace? How can we take this to the American people and say, and acknowledge we're better than this and we're going to work better than this in the future. Um, everything, every accomplishment that we had on November 3rd was entirely wiped out uh, by, by last night's events and the violence. Uh, I it was heartbreaking for me. It was difficult as a mom uh, to talk to my children. My, my daughter was blowing up my phone this afternoon, wanting to make sure that there were no more protesters around, wanting to know what time I was going to be back. Um, in fact, last night, I, I didn't feel safe to leave the Capitol. I slept uh, in the clothes I wore last night uh, on my couch in my office because I didn't feel safe to go to a hotel. Um, we have real problems and we need to address those and, and take full responsibility and be accountable to them and provide solutions, not be part of the problem, but be part of the future. Speaker, Speaker Nancy Pelosi and mm -hmm. um, soon-to-be Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer have both called on the immediate removal of President Trump from office. Speaker Pelosi is saying that if the 25th Amendment isn't invoked, that uh, the president should be impeached and removed. You've said a, a couple of times, or you said once here, I've seen other interviews that you've done, you've yeah. only been a member of Congress for 100 hours. Only for 100 would, hours, yeah. <laughs> but would you vote, would you vote to impeach the president of the United States because of what happened yesterday? Not at this time. I mean, as, a, as, as someone who believes in the Constitution, I would look at the facts presented to me um, and make a decision based on what is outlined in the Constitution. I like to do my research and like to seek out precedent. I don't make decisions on whim or on a live interview either. I want to make sure that I'm armed with all the facts and information and knowledge to make a good decision in that. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't say that there are 13 days left. Um, President Trump did say that there would be committed to a peaceful transition of power. Um, and we're seeing right now today with all of the resignations going on this morning and this afternoon, I think people are serious about that. Uh, and I hope that he's serious about that as well. Um, but uh, I just hope him? that, you know. Congresswoman, do you believe him when he says that he, that you do? At this juncture, he's finally acknowledged it. Um, it, it took a violent act, an act of violence last night. To, to make that uh, admission, it's done. He said there would be a peaceful transition of power. I hope and pray that there is. And if there is not, then I hope and pray that every single Republican, every member of our conference condemns it. Um, if there is any more rhetoric that could potentially, even in the slightest manner, incite uh, another riot like we saw last night. It's un-American, it's anarchy. And I'm, I'm just putting my foot down and saying no more. The, the insurrection yesterday and the members of your party who um, helped fuel the fuel the fire of it, uh, has it shaken your, your, your faith in your party at all? Sorry, I missed that my AirPods just ran out of power. I, <laughs> I, I... Okay, I'll, I'll ask the question again. Um, 
the insurrection, the insurrection that happened yesterday, uh, and the violence that we watched on television, that you watched and experienced in person. Um, I'm just wondering if those events and also the actions by some of your Republican colleagues that sort of egged these folks on, ha have those things shaken your faith in your party at all? No, I still remain, I remain hopeful. I have internally communicated some of my frustrations to some of my, my colleagues and some of those that are participating in that kind of rhetoric. Um, I, I've seen some of the tweets today and I am disappointed in a few folks that are in the, the far fringes of the, of the far right. That's the reason we lost Georgia. That's the reason we, we gave up and surrendered the U.S. Senate to Democrats. We have no check and, check and balance on a Joe Biden presidency or a Nancy Pelosi House. After all of this, we did this to ourselves. I'm going to work very, very hard uh, from here on out to make sure that I have a strong voice to communicate, to try to be part of of providing solutions and not be part of the problem and really advocate for that within our conference. Um, even for those Republicans who are upset with me today and will continue to be in the days to come, that was a that was a vote. This was not a difficult vote. I followed my conscience. I followed the Constitution. And I'm going to be very strong in that. And I've, I've told everyone that I would always tell the truth no matter what. I will never uh, try to dissuade anyone from that. I would never uh, lie or be dishonest, even if we don't like the outcome of a decision or a vote. Um, I would always be honest with the folks that I that I serve, um, and uh, that's the most important job to me right now. That I serve the the individuals that that brought me here, that voted me into office. Um, two quick questions before we go, and the less than two minutes that we have left. Uh, Facebook has banned President Trump indefinitely from the platform. What do what do you think of that deci decision and its timing? Well, as someone who who loves the Constitution and embraces it and hugs it with everything that I have, I do believe. In the First Amendment, one of the things that, that I have seen, I think conservatives feel this way, is that sometimes uh, we're banned more than others. So if they're going to, you know, Twitter and Facebook, uh, they're a business and have a right to do what they want with their users. But if you're going to do it for Republicans, you need to be doing it for Democrats, too. We see people who make threats on both sides of the aisle across these social networks. So if you're going to do it for one, you need to be doing it for all. We need to be consistent. We need to be equal opportunity when we're when we're uh, when we're we're doing that sort of having that sort of behavior. You can't just uh, punish one side and not the other. The same thing goes back to if you look at all the riots we've had across the country, we cannot forget that there are fringes on the far left who've been burning down our cities for six to nine months uh, without taking any responsibility for it. Millions of dollars of billions of dollars, in fact, of damage in many of these cities. And I saw it in my own district during the King Street riots in May of last year. And so we've got to make sure if we have a standard for one, we have a standard for all. Well, an argument could be made that those the, the riots that happened uh, last summer, six months ago, were met with a law enforcement response that was uh, woefully miss inadequate and or missing yesterday on the Capitol. Last question for you, uh, Congresswoman Mason, that is, given, given your support of the president in the past, working for the president in the past, do you regret your support of the president in any way? <laughs> I don't. I, I don't live in, in a life of regrets. I, I'm disappointed that I that I was quieter in the last couple of days. Um, you know, I was observing and watching what was going on. And at the moment when I decided, you know what, I need to put my kids on a plane. Um, I wish I'd spoke up, spoken up maybe a few days sooner than that. Um, but I don't have any regrets. We had one of the greatest economies in the world, the lowest unemployment. Uh, he banned offshore drilling off South Carolina's coast. I was there for that a few months ago. 
Um, during the pandemic, he his administration was able to put together and approve multiple vaccinations for COVID-19 in 10 months rather than 10 years. There are many great accomplishments that his presidency has had over the last four years, but unfortunately, due to the violence last night, what happened, the riots, uh, all of those accomplishments have been wiped out, and we've got to start from ground zero today. How concerned are you about similar actions that happened yesterday happening on January 20th, Inauguration Day? Uh, I'm 100 hours in. I can't think that far ahead. I think it's really incumbent upon us as leaders of the Republican Party to quell this uh, th this kind of rhetoric and these kinds of actions, which is why I've been so strong about speaking out over the last 24 hours. Um, enough is enough. And we need to have the courage to say no uh, and that this needs to stop. We need to save our country for our country's future and our children's. And I, and I just know that protecting our republic is worth it for my children and my grandchildren and everyone that I serve in South Carolina's first congressional district. And with that, we're gonna have to leave it there. Congresswoman Nancy Mays, thank you of South Carolina. Thank you very thank much for, for coming on Washington Post Live. Yes, sir, thank you. And as always, thank you all for joining us. Join me to, oh, well, what is today, Thursday? So that's tomorrow. Join me <laughs> tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. for the return of First Look. I'll speak with my Washington Post colleagues in the newsroom and on the opinion side about the latest news and analysis on this historic week. I'm Jonathan Capehart, opinion writer for The Washington Post. Thank you very much for watching Washington Post Live. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.